Hi, everybody. My name is Mike, and um, oh, man. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what to say. Let's just close in prayer and go home. <laughs> oh. oh, well. Honestly, I think uh, normally I start out with some, you know, clever little story. Uh, some kind of question that gets you thinking. Um, but I'm not going to do that today. We're going to go straight into the scripture. How's that? So, if you've got a Bible, open it up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. There may be some Bibles right there, and it'll be, it'll be up here behind me as well. Um, fairly short passage today. We know that uh, Jesus has just gone to the Mount of Olives. He just left the, the Last Supper, and his disciples are with him, about ready to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. That comes up, I think, next week. So, we've got this little interlude here between Jesus and the Apostle Peter. And the NIV says this is the place where Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Now you notice the, the PowerPoint people very deftly removed that heading from above this passage because unbeknownst to a lot of people, they think those chapter headings are actually in the original Bible. No, they were put in later. So you could put in here uh, as a title... Jesus predicts Peter totally effing up. You could put that in your own Bible if you wanted to. All right. Verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Now, we're going to stay here for just a minute. I'd like to go over the passage because this is interesting. Jesus is predicting something about Peter. Now, Peter has been following Jesus for three years at this point. Peter has seen Jesus raise the dead, heal the sick, bring sight to the blind, make the lame walk again, cure lepers. He's seen him do miracles like feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people with just a little boy's lunch of fish and bread. He's seen Jesus walk on the water. He's seen Jesus transfigured on uh, a mountaintop where his clothes became dazzling white. And all of a sudden, the prophet Elijah and the prophet Moses showed up. And pretty soon, the glory of God is enveloping the, the whole crew up there. And it's miraculous, right? It's a taste of heaven on earth. Peter's seen all this stuff. 
And here's Jesus, the same guy that Peter's seen, says, You will all fall away, for it is written. Then he starts quoting Zechariah, the prophet. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Now, if you read that prophecy back in Zechariah, the eye in that particular passage is God. And Jesus is saying, this is divinely appointed. This is going to happen. It's not just my idea. This is foretold from centuries past. And God is going to do this. My Father is going to do this. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, there he goes talking about rising again. I'm sure the disciples had a hard time figuring out what he meant. He could have been just speaking in metaphors because Jesus always spoke in metaphors. We don't know when he's telling something, you know, like, how do we know if he's really real or is this a metaphor? Like, Jesus, is this a story or is this really going to happen? What do you mean by rise? You're going to levitate? You're going to go up in the clouds? What do you mean by that? But he's predicted his death, and maybe they're getting a clue. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. It's like saying to the master of the universe, after he tells you this is your fate, you go, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no, uh uh-uh, not me, -uh. nuh-uh, I'm going to be right here. The audacity is just amazing. The passion is immense. Peter is believing that Jesus is going to be the Messiah and somehow there's going to be an uprising. Now, before this, in another gospel, we're told they take a couple swords, right? Jesus goes, that's enough. And I'm thinking Peter's going, yeah, yeah, with Jesus around, that's enough. That's what I'm thinking. And so I think Peter is willing to die in battle for Jesus is what he's saying. I think that's what he's signing up for. My opinion, this is not the scripture. He's saying, I'm not turning back. I'm not retreating. It's advance, advance, advance. I don't care if I get mowed down in the battle. I am not shrinking back. Then Jesus says, truly I tell you. You know that whenever Jesus begins with truly I tell you, or verily, verily, I say unto thee that he's very serious. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself would disown me three times. Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So all the disciples are in the same frame of mind here. Peter is just the spokesperson, as he normally is for what is ever going on. Very often, Peter says what other people are thinking. Maybe you know folks like that. I love people like that because you never have to make yourself look like a fool. They do it all for you. The Proverbs say that uh, he who keeps his mouth shut is thought to be wise. And so there you go. All the rest of them think they're off the hook, but not according to the gospel of Mark. Mark says that others are doing the same thing. So... Here we have Peter denying that he'll be a denier. We have Jesus predicting that he'll be a denier. So we got this all set up for some great drama to come. All right? 
I've titled my sermon, Failure is Not an Option, It's for Certain. You guys ever heard that phrase, failure is not an option? Ever heard that? How many people have heard that? Raise your hand. Yeah, I, yeah every, failure is not an option. We will succeed. Jesus is saying, no, it's not an option. It's for certain. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. I remember when I first came to Christ, there, there is this great unburdening. Because let's face it, you know, most of us know that before coming to Christ, we're total screw-ups. We mess up our lives in a variety of ways. Various and sundry. Relationally, we messed up. Emotionally, we're scarred. Sexually, we're, you know, certainly not what we ever hoped we'd be. Financially, maybe we're bankrupt. Can't seem to put any money away for the future. And the rainy day is here. I mean, most people, when they come to Christ, have reached a place in their lives where they, they have realized their lack. That's why they come to Christ, you know? When you know your life is falling apart, that's when you open the Bible. That's why, I think I've said this before, why if you go to a nursing home, there's so many people reading their Bibles is because they're cramming for finals. (laughs) But, you know, some of us can get there sooner because we totally made a wreck of our lives. And I remember coming to Christ, and it was like the novel... Pilgrim's Progress, when, when Christian stands before the cross and all of a sudden his, his burden just flies off his back. Or you remember if you ever saw that movie, The Mission, with Robert De Niro, where, where he's carrying that, that, that armor in a bag and he's trying to climb the cliff and he's almost fallen down and all of a sudden he gets cut by a sword and he's free. It was, it was like that feeling, you know, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. That kind of a feeling. And it's wonderful. And everybody in the church knows a sinner has been brought to Christ. You are now washed in the blood. You are now part of God's family. You are a a sheep in the flock of Jesus. You are now a priest in a a nation, a holy nation of priests. You are a brother to Jesus, who is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We have all these ways of saying it, don't we? And so we stand before the cross, and it's all all the failures are are wiped clean. The Scriptures tell us that as far as the, the east is from the west, so far our sins are from God's thought, that He remembers them no more. It's a wonderful feeling. You get a brand new lease on life. And then you walk past the cross. Now you're in the church. Out of the world, in the church. Out of the flesh, into the spirit. There's a problem. Because now, I'm not supposed to do all that stuff I did back there on the other side of the cross. 
It's all failure. I'm not supposed to do that anymore. Now I'm supposed to be a good little boy or a good little girl in the household of God. And so we, we find that we start to mess up. And then what do we do? We're, well, we either you know deny that we're sitting, and some people have done that. Maybe you've met people like that who are convinced they have never sinned once they come to Christ. I don't know what they call it, but it's not a sin anymore. My feeling is like, we can start with pride and arrogance. How's that? But there are those people. So they redefine terms, keep redefining and re-redefining terms so that they're not sinning. Or you begin to mask your failures. You don't let them be known to the body of believers. I mean, let's face it, when I was a young dad, I remember... You know, Mary and I be on the way to church, couple kids in the back, three kids in the back, then four kids. And, you know, it's like, you know, bedlam in the back seat. And you're driving there and you and your wife aren't getting along. And pretty soon I'm yelling and she's snapping and the kids are fighting. And I'm, you know, I'm going, stop, cut it out, you guys. I'm trying to drive. Stop it, stop it. You turn around, you're trying to hit them. Cut it, stop it. And then you go, Daddy, you hit me and not her. I'm, I'm sorry, it meant not to hit him. And, you know. It is a circus in the car, and then you pull in the church parking lot. And you're going, okay, everybody, stop. Stop crying. Stop it. We're going to church now. Put on your happy Christian face. That's what you end up doing. Or you end up just not sharing. You go to a small group and you just, you don't say anything. You're just quiet. Everybody else is sharing what they're struggling with. But far be it from you to talk about the dark sin you're hiding in the corner of your soul. The things you're doing with your hands during the week, with your feet during the week. The thoughts that you're thinking. I mean, we just can't say those out loud because we're beyond the cross now. We're in the household of God. You know, failure is not an option. Man, too much energy. It takes too much energy to do that. So when I read this passage, I come up, and this is odd. I have a three-point sermon. How about that? And you thought scum was different. <laughs> it's not. We're as messed up as everybody else. We just look cooler, I think. I don't know. <laughs> Back to the pride and arrogance thing. Here we go. Yeah, we look cooler. <laughs> Point number one. God knows we will fail. God knows we will fail. This is the weird thing. The more I walk with Christ, the more I realize that God expects less of me than I expect of myself. It just like strips the gears in my mind. I go and he expects less of me than I expect of myself. Which is awesome because it takes the pressure off from being perfect. God expects less of you than you expect of yourself. 
You are but clay. That's all. With a little breath of God blown in, you're like the flowers of the field, the grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. You're, we're, we're like shadows on the face of the earth. God expects less of us than we expect of ourselves. So there's no need for masks. Now, it's interesting. We, uh, we find this in other places in the Bible. Romans 7, 21 through 24 says this. Should be up. Yes. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans, the Christian, the Christians in Rome. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is the Apostle Paul, the one who called himself the chief of all sinners. I think he finally got comfortable with the fact that God knew he was going to fail. That's what I think. So the only thing that's really saving me is Jesus Christ, is what Paul would say. God knows we'll fail. That takes the pressure off to be perfect, folks. My second point actually does not come from this passage. Uh, Same story, Gospel of Luke. So forgive me for not preaching just this passage, but, you know, tough. (laughs) Luke 22, verses 31 through 32, same conversation between Peter and, and, and Jesus. And, uh, Jesus says this to Peter. Mark just doesn't record it. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Simon was um, Peter's name. His real name. Simon. Not Peter. Peter was like a nickname, The Rock. That, that Jesus gave him. It's interesting that uh, in this little interlude where, where Jesus is predicting Peter's not going to be a rock, he doesn't call him Peter. <laughs> he calls him Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So in the same interchange, what Jesus is telling Simon, a.k.a. Peter, is, I believe in you. And that's my second point. God believes in us while we are failing. God believes in us while we are failing. Now, he's obviously not believing we're not going to fail because he believes we're going to fail. We know that. We know that from point number one. We know that from verse 27 of the passage we're studying today. But... He believes in us even though we fail. Why we are failing, he believes in us. 
So the good news is that we haven't sinned so badly that God can't forgive us because that's one of the things that we feel, isn't it, when we screw up? I, I've, I have really messed it up this time so badly. I don't think God's going to give me another chance. I think it's over. I mean, how many times have we been here before and he's forgiven me, forgiven me, but this time I have really blown it. God believes in us while we fail. Pierce Pettis has a song called God Believes in You. I suggest you download it on iTunes. God Believes in You. And he believes that our faith will hold fast even through the failure. Because why? Because Jesus himself is praying for us. If you remember from other scriptures in the Bible, Jesus' big job in heaven, aside from preparing a place for us to come, is praying at the right hand of the Father. He is our high priest. He prays for us. That's what he does. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. You're saying that's too many people. He can't do that. Well, he's God, right? He can do that. My feeling is, is that if we're supposed to follow Jesus, this is a total aside, not part of the sermon, just popped in my head. But if, but if, if we're supposed to be like Jesus on this earth and follow him in this life, then why wouldn't we do that when we're in heaven? So my guess is, is that I'll be giving a, I'll be given a job, you know, praying for some of you sorry people when I finally die, <laughs> which I will love to do. Because that will be my job, and I will love my job in heaven because it's a perfect place. <laughs> oh, that was so wrong. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but Jesus is praying for us. In other words, in the middle of our messed up lives that we keep messing up, he is continually praying for us that what? We learn from our mistakes? that we will not lose our faith in the middle of our mistakes, that even if we really feel like we've blown it, that we will know that he loves us anyway. He believes in us while we fail. You know, there's a uh, third point. And that Jesus leads us though we fail. He leads us. He knows we're going to fail. He believes in us while we are failing. And he leads us though we fail. He says uh, to Peter, he said, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, remember he was talking about the shepherd being struck and the sheep scattering, but then I'm going to go ahead of you. He's talking about shepherds, right? Contextual idea here is that he will lead like a shepherd leads, even though you fail. I will go ahead of you and I will lead you, even though you're failing. I will lead you, even though you're failing. And what this means is we don't have to stay in the failure. That there's hope on the other side. It's sad that Judas has already left. 
It's sad that Judas has already left and he didn't hear these words. Maybe he wouldn't have hung himself because he would have known that Christ knew he was going to fail and that Christ believed in him when he was failing and that even though he failed, he would lead him. I don't want to get into the whole Judas thing, but what I'm saying is you're here. You can hear this. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's a common malady, but <clears throat> a lot of folks here, both men and women, struggle with the whole porn thing, right? I, I am no stranger to that struggle. I have struggled with porn. And I remember the decision that I had to make five minutes in to looking at the porn. Do I keep going or do I stop? Ten minutes in. Do I keep going or do I stop? I've already blown it. I'm already here. Going to have to ask forgiveness anyway. So why not just keep going? Because then we can just do it all at once. You see? We think that, don't we? We think that, that I'm here. It doesn't have to be porn. It can be flirting with a married person at work. I'm already there. It's already in my mind. Might as well follow through. Might as well take little lunchroom conversation. Why not make a dinner? What's the difference? I'm screwed up anyway. I'm in it anyway. Didn't Jesus say, if you've committed the sin in your heart, it's the same as committing it? We, we, can, we can twist Scripture any way we want. Well, I've already had three beers. Why not, why not make it Six. I'm already yelling at my spouse. I'm going to slap her. I'm already there. I'm already angry. I'm already over the edge. I think Jesus would say it's not what you've done. It's what you're going to do next. I've forgiven what you've done. What are you going to do next? What's he mean when he says, I've gone ahead of you? What's he mean? You're my shepherd. After you've risen, you go ahead of me. It's like, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to lead you. If we just take our eyes off of ourselves for a minute... We could actually see Jesus, have a relationship with him, and be led out of it. Because let me tell you, being involved in some terrible situation where you're destroying your life or the life of somebody else, ten minutes of that is worse than five minutes of that. Three years of it is worse than one year of it. 
And I think it has to do with this kind of overweening pride, the kind of pride that Peter showed in this passage. Not me. Uh Uh-uh. No. Almighty, you're wrong. I'm not going to be that way. You see, as long as we keep our our eyes focused on ourselves and how we're doing and how good we are and how much strength of faith we have, when we finally fail, which we will, we keep our eyes focused on ourselves and we stay in it. I'm already here. I might as well just enjoy it. As opposed to looking at Jesus. We refuse relationship with the one who will lead us out of it. Think about the heroes that God has picked in the Bible. What a bunch of losers. I mean it. Abraham, father of the faith, right? Gave his wife away to another man twice. Not once. Twice. Gave his wife to another man. Why? So he could have sex with her. That's why. Was it for God stepping in and intervening? It would have happened. He was just afraid. They were kings in the land. He was afraid for his own skin. Oh, this is my sister. Yeah, go ahead. What about Moses? Moses raises a prince in Egypt, right? Saved out of the River Nile. Ends up killing an Egyptian guy. And then flees the country for 40 years on the backside of the desert. Like not only did he kill somebody, like he left the people he was supposed to lead. And God says, I'm going to make you prophet for my whole nation. You're going to be the picture of the Messiah who was to come. And let's talk about David for a while. King David, right? Starts out great. Great story. David and Goliath, that whole thing. Boy, did he mess up his life. You know the story. And God calls him a man after his own heart. Or what about the apostle Peter? The spokesman for us all. Who says, I will never disown you. And then disowns Jesus. This is my rock, and upon this I will build my church, is what Jesus says. Incredible. If you are a failure, you could be in the Bible. One of God's premier saints put you on display. Aren't you glad you're not in the Bible? I'm glad I'm not in the Bible. I mean, there's no hiding what these guys did. When I pulled in the parking lot of the church, nobody knew that I had been in an argument with my wife before that. Nobody knew I had lost my temper with my children. But if I was in the Bible, they would know. Now they know because I'm talking about it here. 
It's a funny thing about the scripture. It kind of lays you open. I'm reading this passage. I'm going, Lord, how do I, how do I bring this up? 2011, Lord, February 11th, February 13th, 2011. How do I bring it up? How do I do this? Well, how does it affect you, Mike? And it's when I share my weakness, you become stronger. That's my hope. It's not what you've done, it's what you do next. You have to have the humility not to live in your failure. You have to have the humility not to live in your failure. You have to be able to take your eyes off of yourself and put them on Jesus. Hebrews 4.16 and Proverbs 24.16 says this. Hebrews 4.16, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When is our time of need, people? When we fail. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because you know what? We're going to find mercy. Mercy means we don't get what we deserve. We don't get the punishment we deserve. And grace, guess what? We get the rewards we don't deserve. It's a good deal. Just take your eyes off of yourself and put them on Jesus and follow where he leads. That's where the mercy and the grace is. So when you're in the middle of the affair, what do you do? You turn your eyes on Jesus and follow the shepherd out of it. Only place you're going to go to be able to lead, to be led out of it. Because you have lost your way. You're like a sheep, you know, stuck in a briar patch. You don't know how to get out. You're, 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 you're a little lamb that's on the crumbling cliff and, and you're afraid to take the next step. Well, how do you know where to go? Because he will go ahead of you and he will lead you out of it. When you're in the middle of the addiction, when you're in the middle of the relational difficulty, when you're in the middle of all the lies you have told that have made your life miserable, Because failure is not an option. It's for certain. And then Proverbs 24, 16. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Though the righteous fall seven times. Seven times is one of those biblical numbers. Seven days of creation. You know, just kind of one of those complete numbers. Like, though you fall over and over and over again until you finally have completed your falling, you know what? It doesn't matter. You will rise again. You will rise again. Because Jesus is going to lead you out of that mess that you've made for yourself. I don't know where you are right now, and my guess is you're failing somewhere. How do I know this? 
Because I'm your pastor. I'm the professional Christian here, and I do it. I get paid to do this, right? I get paid to be a Christian, and I'm doing it. And you're not being paid, and my guess is you're doing it too. It's because, like the Apostle Paul, I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I want to do are the things that I don't do. Romans chapter 7, a little bit earlier from what I read you. It's true of the Apostle Paul. And I'm no Apostle Paul. That's how I know. And so, when we think about our failures, we just need to remember that, number one, God knows we're going to fail. He's not surprised that you are doing what you're doing right now. Not surprised. Knew about it before the foundations of the earth were were laid. He knew what you'd be doing right now. He's not surprised. Number two, that God believes in you even though you're failing right now. While you're failing, he still believes in you. He's still praying for you that your faith may not fail. And number three, he will lead you even though you fail. He will lead you doesn't matter. You're never too bad enough for him to lead. Turn and look at Jesus. Now we're going to have some prayer during the last worship set over here to my right in that little prayer room. And perhaps you're in the middle of a situation And you've been fooling yourself that God doesn't know. You've been fooling yourself that somehow what you're doing is way beyond what God can forgive. Or you're fooling yourself that Jesus has abandoned you and will never lead you again. I want to say all those are lies. And I just invite you to go and pray with somebody and and look at the truth. Turn and look at Jesus. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you once again for hanging out with losers like us. really appreciate you a lot. Lord, I pray for everybody here. I pray that if anyone right here is dealing with something right now and feeling like a total abject failure, that um, you would bring them to yourself and let them know the truth. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.